Well, a number of years ago, I uh, went on a mission trip to, uh, to Peru. It was, a, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity to go down and strengthen some, some churches and to, yeah, to really learn about what God was, was doing in, in that area. And we spent some time in, uh, in, in a city, and then we went from there up the Amazon River and began to visit different villages. And as we would go kind of from village to village and share the gospel and seek to try to uh, yeah, render any help that we could to the churches that were there and the projects that they had going on, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. Um, but there's a, there's a couple villages that, that stick in my mind in, in regards to our, our visit. Uh, the first one was, uh, I think it was probably the second, uh, second village that we, we came to. We, we parked our, our boat and unloaded. And as we, as we made our way to the, to the shore, you could just see um, everybody coming out uh, from, you know, from, from the hills and from uh, their, their homes and everything, coming down to, to greet us, and they welcomed us. Uh, there were evidently many Christians who lived in this village, and they were thankful uh, that some gospel workers had come there. There were hugs and exchanges in uh, languages that we didn't understand, and they didn't understand us, but we knew we were speaking the same language in regards to, to Christ, and it was, it was super encouraging the, the few days that we spent, uh, spent there. Their hospitality was, yeah, a- amazing. Uh, they, they gave up um, uh, their homes for us to, to, to sleep uh, there in, in, in their homes, and they wouldn't take no for an answer on that. It was, it was really sweet. The, the church was a, a hut uh, with dirt floors. It had leaves and branches kind of uh, as, as the roof. Uh, their, their clothes uh, were, um, yeah, were, many of them were, were worn and torn. But their welcome was, was warm, their worship was vibrant, they sang like they, they believed it. Their sermon listening, so I would preach and there would be a translator, uh, they were some of the most eager listeners to God's word, they leaned in and, and listened, right? And then, uh, and I'm not sure if this is what Jason was alluding to in the sermon last week, but they had a portion of the service where it was time to give. And it became a, a party, a celebration, where people would come down the aisle and they would, they would do, some of them were dancing, but they were bringing things. They would, they would bring uh, bags of, of money, small bags of, of money. Some of them would bring resources. Some of them would bring little cages with chickens in it. Some would bring all sorts of things. You could just tell some of them were bringing clothes and they were laying it at the altar, giving it to God. And you could tell that they loved this portion of, of the service. They, were, they had the opportunity to give back what God had, had given to them. And it's, it spilled out, though, from Sunday morning into their, into their homes. Again, the hospitality, the meals were generous. They, these people were moved by grace. And as often as the circumstance, we, we went there thinking we would be able to be a blessing, but watching them live out their faith in Christ was a, a tremendous blessing to us. They had encountered the grace of Jesus, and it just flowed out of them, joyfully, happily, sacrificially. That same sort of spirit of joyful, generous giving is exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to provoke in the hearts of the Corinthian church here in 2 Corinthians. We're in a section in this book, chapters 8 through 9. We've, this will be the third of three sermons on this section where Paul has, has moved from his relationship with them and some of the beef that they had because of the false teachers coming in to now encouraging them to be generous. And not just for generosity's sake, but for Jesus' sake. 
that it would commend his name and that the, the, the gift that they were giving would be able to go to help suffering believers in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem were under great persecution and lacked much. And Paul had been going around to, to all of the Gentile churches and saying, hey, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are in need. Give so that we can take an offering to help them. And as we've talked about through this section, the Corinthian church initially had said, we're about that. But then something had given them some cold feet, it appeared. So Paul is coming back in and reminding them, hey, you guys faithfully said you were going to do this. And we've been telling all the churches you guys were going to do this. So don't, don't go back on your word and bring shame to us for saying what you were going to do and bring shame to you before God because you promised. Like, give. And what he's doing is not moving them by guilt, but he's moving them by grace. By showing them the generosity of Jesus toward them. And it's intended to move them to open their hearts, open their wallets, open their hands, and to give to the work of, of the Lord. There's much for us to learn about this same sort of generosity as well. So let's pick it up here in chapter 9, verse 6, and continue the conversation. The point is this, which you're always thankful when you get that in the Bible. You're like, okay, tell me what you're getting after. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all a grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has freely, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's kind of a tricky passage as we work through, I think that the points I think what God is getting after is clear. It's a little tricky. We'll do our best to, to navigate this. As we do, there's, I think the big idea of, of this text for the Corinthians and for us is this. Give joyfully to God's work because he loves to reward your giving. Give joyfully to God's work because he loves to reward your giving. In order to unpack this this, uh, this text here, we're going to look at one principle, two postures, and three promises. So one principle that we get from this text, 
two postures about how we're supposed to come to this principle and apply it, and then three promises that, that accompany our living it out, okay? First, the principle, which is the longest of the whole thing. The principle. God blesses bountiful giving. God blesses bountiful giving. This is the point of this section of scripture, I think. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul, 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 that's somebody else. Paul uses an agricultural metaphor here to emphasize an important spiritual lesson. Bountiful sowing leads to bountiful reaping. The more seeds you sow, the more harvest you will reap. So kids, I'm not recommending you do this, but let's say that you wanted to get, turn your, your backyard into a pumpkin patch. You should ask your parents for permission first, but <clears throat> if you wanted to see a bunch of pumpkins turn up in your backyard, would you take two or three seeds and throw them out there in your backyard? Or would you take a whole bag full? Let me say this because it's happened in our house before. <laughs> the, front, the front bed, I don't know what, I don't know what jack-o'-lantern they dumped in there, but <laughs> one year we got a whole, <laughs> a whole harvest of, of pumpkins that come up. Well, of course the answer is if, you, if you're hoping for a big harvest, you're going to throw a bunch of seeds. You're not going to just throw one or two here. You're going to do, you're going to do a whole bunch. That agricultural principle carries over to financial giving. If you sow sparingly, meaning if you are limited in your generosity, if you are stingy, as we've talked about in weeks before, not giving generously to the work of the Lord, you will reap sparingly. God will withhold blessing from you. But if you sow bountifully, the word means excessively, to give generously, to give sacrificially, you will reap bountifully, meaning God will bless you richly. God loves to bless those who bountifully give to his work from their wealth. Now, how many of you are already uncomfortable with everything I'm saying? All right, I could feel it. Y'all are like, he just lost his mind. He's about to go TBN on us. This is in the Bible, okay? But the reason that so many of us feel uncomfortable is because we've had a response to the way that Satan has used a principle like this through false teachers and twisted it in perverted ways. You see, Satan uses false teachers to distort God's word and, and lead to spiritual manipulation and abuse around lots of things, including around money. How many of you have ever heard something like this? Quote, supernatural wealth, supernatural wealth transfers happen throughout scripture. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Israel, and Solomon. But just before their supernatural wealth transfer, God first asked them to give an offering. That sacrificial offering triggered the harvest. God searches for people whom he can teach the principles of true abundance. Are you one of whom God can trust? 
If you need a miracle in your life or your family, make the divine connection between your need and your seed. The secret is in the seed, and now is the time to prepare by sowing your seed. How many of y'all ever heard stuff like that before? That's a cut and paste from Benny Hinn's website. So Benny Hinn is a false teacher who lies about God and uses God's word to manipulate people to give in ways that are fueled by worldliness, aiming to stoke their hearts to love the things of the world so that he can pad his pockets. Satan, listen, Satan loves to distort and to twist and to pervert God's promises for a couple reasons. He wants to deceive. Two, two reasons I think particularly he does this. One, he wants to trick people into believing wrong things about God so that when God doesn't act as they expected him to, their faith will fall apart and they'll just blaspheme God and leave him. So the other village that stays in my mind from our trip to Peru was the next village that we went to. The village we went to after that, the reception couldn't have been more different than the one that we had at the first village. And it's not because there weren't as many Christians there. Evidently, there were a number of Christians there. But they were very skittish and very standoffish. And it took us actually a couple days. There was, there was one or two brothers and sisters who were very kind and welcomed us and helped us get set up. But there was, nobody was coming to the services we were holding. Nobody was, they weren't really open to us kind of partnering and helping. We couldn't, couldn't figure out. And then finally, one of them had explained that just a few months earlier, there was a very well-known televangelist who had come to their village and who had used God's word and promised that if you will give sacrificially, that your wombs will never miscarry, and your lambs will never die, and your children will never get sick, and your loved ones will be healed. And they took everybody's money, and they left. And miscarriages happened, and children got sick, and loved ones died, and God was blasphemed. That is satanic. People coming in, twisting God's word, misusing it in a way that obliterates faith. You see, God gives his word to provoke faith around who he really is and what he really promises to do. That misuse of scripture is not what's in view here. The other reason that, or way that Satan works to distort, so it's to destroy faith, but it's also to tempt faithful believers... To, to shy away, and I'm not saying those people weren't faithful, but they, another thing he tries to do is to, to tempt faithful believers to shy away from certain scriptures because he knows how important and vital they are to your spiritual health. Texts like this. You see, and this is the temptation that most of us are susceptible to. That's why we felt weird about me saying that God will bless those who are, are generous. So we'll be tempted to respond to false teachings by not talking about money at all because we don't want to be like those Christians. Or by not holding out financial promises that God gives in his word as encouragements to obey God. Or by not keeping each other accountable to be generous because we don't want to feel pushy around money stuff. 
You see how Satan's crafty? Do not allow Satan to lead you, us, astray. God's word is very plain here. He promises to bless bountifully to those who are generous. So bountifully, so that you will reap bountifully. We have a couple questions then, okay? So first of all, so God blesses bountiful giving. Well, number one, how do we sow bountifully? What is, okay, what does that mean then to sow, to sow bountifully? Well, it means to give to the Lord's work in generous, sacrificial ways. It, it begins with, with looking at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9, who began this whole section with Paul holding up Jesus, right? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave up his glory and riches that you might be brought into them, which again we talked about as being true spiritual riches are the primary thing that are in view there. That we get God and we get his spirit and then we get his word and then we get the hope of, of glory and, and we get the fellowship of the church and, and abundant, abundant things, right? But our giving, our giving also helps to further gospel work and it expresses God's love by giving to, to people in need. So if you want to sow bountifully, I think the first thing you understand is that we, we need to we need to give in a way that stretches us. So if your giving does not stretch your comfort, it could mean that you're not giving bountifully. You're, you're aiming to give, give much. And again, this is not a call to give mindlessly or foolishly, but to check whether your giving to God's work lines up with the biblical priorities and principles that he lays out in his word. So how do we sow bountifully? We, we give to the Lord faithfully, generously, and we'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But I think it's what it means. We, we go over and above in our giving to the work of God. So what kind of bountiful reaping should we expect God to give? Twofold, resources and righteousness. Let's talk about resources first, the one that makes us most uncomfortable. Look at chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. The context is seed is giving generous financial support to the work of God. He supplies seed to the sower. We're the sower. God gives seed to us. We sow it. And bread will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. It's saying God will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. God will give to the generous so that they can continue to be generous. It says the same thing in verse 11, 9-11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Every way does, I think, include financial resources. God will enrich those who are generous with physical resources so that they can continue to be generous. God can and often does generously supply physical resources, money and wealth, 
to his people in response to their generosity to his work and to his people. I mean, I can testify in my life and, and walking as a Christian for some 25 years that I have seen this reality play out time and time and time again. I have learned that you cannot outgive God. That if there is something that, that you see that the Lord, you know he wants you to give to, it's clear in his word, this seems, this seems to line up, this is right. And, and, and you're like, this is, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And you give to his work because, Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want you to know, I want to know you more. I want others to know you through this work. So there's pure motives here. God, God delights in that. Listen to how this proverb says it. Proverbs eleven twenty four, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Meaning gives and gets. Another withholds what he should give and suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters himself will be watered. Now, what this doesn't mean is that if you give, you're going to be for, you know, 500. You're not, this is not saying you get rich. This is not what it's saying at all. So don't hear be enriched as getting rich. It's not the same thing. But God will, God does delight in giving to those who are generous so that they can keep being generous. They're being stewards for the good stewards. Do you have any Bible examples? Sure, I'm glad you asked. So listen to the, listen to the story from 1 Kings 17. There's a famine in Israel. God sent Elijah, prophet, to Zarephath town told to visit a widow who is there who will feed him. He arrives, meets said widow, and says, can we have some bread? Now, what he doesn't know is what's going on in her life. She is at the end of everything that she has. She, she's a widow, it's a famine, things are not well for her. Listen to this, chapter 17, verse 12. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I have, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. This is our last meal. That's what I'm preparing for. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first... Make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. He's telling the widow this very principle that we're looking at. Trust God, be generous out of what you have, and God will replace it. Then she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. Notice it doesn't say, and she and her household bought a mansion in Bora Bora and took their private jet there and all this kind of, that's not, that's not what happened. She didn't get rich. But she learned that there's a God who says, pray for daily bread, and she was generous with a little bit of bread that she had, and God just somehow kept filling up 
the flower pot. Kept making the oil. I thought we I thought there was no more oil. You know that was fun every morning, don't you? Lord, I don't know how we're gonna get bread today. But you said, there's one more drop. He did it again. He did it again. He did it again. It's the same sort of principle that we see with the, the feeding of the 5,000. The little boy brought some and gave, right? The, flour, the jar of flour was spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord. So, hear this. If you give so that you will get rich and view God as some sort of pyramid scheme, you misunderstand the principle. This is not a principle on how to get rich. This is not a principle on how to become wealthy. This is not a principle on how to pad your pockets. God must not be treated like a vending machine or a lottery ticket where we give money and expect him to become a, a, a genie who just brings a windfall of wealth to us. That's another religion. God cannot be bought by your giving. God cannot be bribed by your giving. God owes you nothing for your giving. He gave it to you anyway. But he loves to take care of his children who are generous. He loves to do that. And now listen, God will, and part of the reason he won't give is because to people who are asking with wrong motives is because he's not going to give you an idol. Listen to this from James. You ask, James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God will not give you an idol. So if you're coming and giving so that you can get rich, God will be like, uh-uh, we're going to shut that down. In fact, if he does give it to you, it may be a sign of judgment. So I think when you look at all these, you know, so why are all these, you know, these famous televangelists, why are they so rich? It's because God has given them over to their lust. It's a form of judgment. He's given them, he's given them their God. And it will not help them on the day of judgment. So, God loves to supply for the widow who is generous with whatever she's got. That's not the only harvest in view. And I don't think it's the primary harvest in view. That is a means to an end. He gives so that you can give so that righteousness is a harvest. Right? God rewards with financial wealth isn't the only and ultimate aim of this passage. Primarily, it's the harvest of righteousness. Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 9. As it is written, he quotes Psalm 112, which if you go back and read Psalm 112, It's a psalm about a a person who loves God, fears God, obeys God, and is generous to to a lot of things, including poor people. And he quotes that. So he, the godly person, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His, the godly person's, righteousness endures forever. This is the testimony of a righteous person. He has given freely to the poor, which is exactly what Paul's calling the Corinthian church to do. God makes his or her righteousness endure and abound forever. Verse 10 says the same thing. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. God gives you resources so that you can be generous and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest that's in view here primarily is righteousness. 
the picture is that if you are generous, righteousness is being formed in you and righteousness flows through you. Here's how it works. A Christian sees the grace of God in Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. Oh, I as a Christian have been forgiven of my sins. I have a wealth of his mercy. I have his spirit sealed until the day of redemption. I have the church. I have the hope of heaven. I have him. I am rich. Right? And when that's the reality that a Christian operates in, something happens to you. You are compelled to respond from the grace that you've given to now, by grace, give generously to further the work of the gospel. You're like, I want others to know this grace. So whatever resources I have down here, I'm going to find a way to use them wisely to help further gospel work. Not that you can buy salvation, that's another religion too. I'm talking about the very thing this morning with Brett and Mandy coming up here. The reason they're able to go to Abu Dhabi is because there's been generosity, there's been sacrificial giving that has come to help say, we're going to help y'all get there. Because we believe that the gospel is great, Christ is glorious, he has given us grace, so we want to give grace to them, and they're like, we believe the same thing, we'll go tell somebody else, and then they're going to go over there, and we hope that there's going to be a harvest of righteousness that's going to come from that. And, and, and what happens through the whole thing is as we're looking at Jesus and doing this, he transforms us from one degree of glory to another, as 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us. So as you sacrifice what you have to give to others, because you're imitating Jesus by faith, it makes you more like Jesus. As you cut out some area of comfort or some area of, or sacrifice some, some area of need in order to aid God's work in and through you, something happens. Righteousness happens. You begin to love the world less. You begin to love God and his purposes more. You begin to treasure internal, eternal investments more. So I'll give you an example. There was a sister a number of years ago who heard about the need of some, some gospel workers who were going overseas, and she wanted to give to the work, but she, did, she, didn't, have, she didn't have any money. So she sat down and she prayed and she said, Lord, show me how can I give of what you've given me to help them. I, I, I want to do this. And so she started looking at her budget and one of the things she realized was that she had a five day a week bougie coffee habit. Where her, it was her thing. She was her little treat to herself. She would go, she'd get her $3 coffee or sometimes $5, whatever it is, her coffee. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And she said, you know what? Lord, I want to I give that back to you for the next two years, and I want to use that money to help them. So she was able to cut it out of her budget and take the $250 a month that she had been spending on bougie coffees and said, I'm going to use that money in order to, to help the gospel go. Why? Because is Jesus not worth that? There's opportunity to be generous here. Again, this is not saying you can't have enjoyable things along the way, but that's not the purpose of having money. The purpose of having resources is to help fuel gospel work. And as righteousness happens in you, by sacrificing, righteousness flows through you, 
And there's a harvest of righteousness where others are helped and God is glorified. Verse 12, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the harvest of righteousness. In you, through you, and as you are generously giving, God delights in helping that person continue to be able to give. And that's the resources part of it. So it's a means to an end. A lot of people approach this conversation as, how can I get rich and use God to do it? God's like, ah, next. Who can, I look, who can I look to? Who has a heart and says, I just, I want to I make his name known. So that is, that is the principle. God blesses bountiful giving. He, he supplies needs. He supplies himself. He is our reward and he brings a harvest of righteousness. Okay. So then how should I go about engaging in this? Well, there's two postures so we'll think about briefly. The first one is give faithfully to God. So the first posture is give faithfully to God. Look again at chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So to, to give bountifully, you must first be thoughtful. This is an important area of every Christian's life. You must discern and decide how much of your wealth that God has given you, you are going to use to further the work of God. So, for instance, how many of you have been taught that um, you are supposed to give a tithe to the church? You're supposed to give 10% to the church. Okay, good. So that is well-intended but misguided. Tithing is a command that is connected with the old covenant worship of Israel. Under the old covenant, Israel was commanded to give tithes of money various times throughout the year that actually, if you add it all up, it, it amasses to about 20% of your possessions every year you were going to be giving, you were commanded to give to God. So just to be really clear, old covenant believers were commanded to tithe. But in Christ, you are no longer under the old covenant. Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if you are in Christ, you're no longer under the old covenant. Now you are under a new covenant. So then the question people always ask is, well then, well how much should I give then? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Well under the new covenant, hear this, you are free to give as much as you want. Now, this is where your flesh goes, oh, you're saying. So the flesh, the flesh wants to respond in selfishness and say, oh, how can I hoard it then? I, I'm going back to 1%, right? But the spirit says, oh, wow, there's freedom here. How can I be, be generous? You are free to give as much as you desire. So one of the things I encourage you to do as you try to apply this, these sermons is to read the Delray Baptist Church Shepherd Statement on Giving. If you haven't read that, I highly encourage you to do that. It's about a five, six page, then I don't know, it's long, it's not that, it's long but not terrible. It's a biblical study on how to think about giving generously. I encourage you to read that. If you're, if you're married, I encourage you to read that with your spouse. If you've got roommates, read it together, accountability part. I encourage you to read it and think about it, okay? And then I want you to do three things. Number one, I want to exhort you 
in this give faithfully to God. Number one, prayerfully surrender everything that you have to God. Just have a conversation with God when you are ready. Say, God, I want to re-acknowledge that everything I have is yours. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, here it is, Lord. It's yours. Surrender to him. Because some of us hold on to stuff like this. Lord, you want some stuff? <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it is. Lord, what do you want from me? <laughs> Go like this, prayerfully. Secondly, wisely steward what God has given you. Everybody in this room makes varying amounts of money. What, how much you make does not really matter in, regard, in this conversation. Um, the, we saw a widow just a moment ago, worshipfully giving. She had very little. So you must discern, though, how to spend money that God has given you, how to give, and how to save. So as you do your family budget, find some sort of, I do encourage you to find some sort of baseline percentage that you want to say, this is, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to, I'm going to want to give this much to the work of God. I think that is helpful. People want to know how much, I'm like, I don't know, that's between you and the Lord. For me personally, the way I've thought about it over the years is if, if the children under the old covenant started between, between 10 and 20%, I feel like it's a good place for me to start and to figure out how can I begin there. Is that possible? Right? And again, I don't hear that as that's what you should do. I'm just saying. So for instance, I know, some, I know somebody who, who lives on 10% and gives away 90%. It's just what, they, that's what they've chosen to do because they see it as a stewardship of, 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 of wealth. So you've got to figure that out. There's freedom there. As you're doing this, only amass bills that you can pay. Some of us are hindered in our generosity because of our credit card bills. Because we have, we're living above what we're able to do. We're not able to be as generous to the work of the Lord because we buy things we can't afford. The Lord would say that's, that's not wise. Potentially sinful. Depends on the whole situation. You've got to be careful. So only amass bills you can pay. Set aside extra money for generosity, so whether that be for like the building fund here or the benevolence fund here um, or the internship, you heard about that, or um, other outside ministries, people that you know, you're like, hey, these people, are, they're about the gospel, we want to help them as well, right? So those are, those are good things. You want to save for the future, that's part of it too. Now this is where some of us can be tempted to be like, yeah, but this is my money. Well, the Lord has a verse for that as well. Deuteronomy 8.17, he says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has given me this wealth. You shall remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. Like, you think you're smart? Who made you smart? You rich? Who do you think made you rich? I did. So just remember where it all comes from. Don't get it twisted. God gives us everything to steward. So, Faithfully give to God, prayerfully surrender all to him, wisely steward what he's given you, and then, thirdly, under this, faithfully give all you have committed to God. So this is what Paul's been challenging the Corinthians to do. They had said, we're going to give some to this deal, um, and he says, do what you say you're going to do. So as you develop your approach to giving, this is where I encourage you to have accountability. In the same way that you would in any other area of your life to say, hey, brother, sister, I need to be humble enough to say I need eyes on the way I'm living in this particular area. If you do that with everything but money, the reason is because money is an idol for you. We have so much identity tied up in what we have. We're either ashamed of it or we're, whatever it may be. There's some, we, we get into this weird thing that I don't think is from the Lord that says, oh, I can't talk about that. 
the Lord would say, oh, it's mine. Yes, you can. There's no area that's off limits to discipleship. So I would encourage you to, to figure out somebody you can trust who's wise that you can talk about these, these things with and then just be faithful in what you say you're going to do. And if you get into a place to jam, the good news is you're not under a law. You can bring it back to the Lord. You can confess some things that might need to change. Or if there's been a hardship, you can reach out. There's, the Lord, he loves, he loves a heart that just comes to him like a child and says, Father, we need help. So, give faithfully to God. Second posture is give cheerfully to God. Give cheerfully to God. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it. He loves a cheerful giver. You see, God doesn't just desire us to give to his work, but he desires us to give to his work in a way that, that honors him, that pleases him. So we must not, from the text here, we must not give reluctantly. That means to give with grief or regret. So, for instance, in our house, sometimes the kids will make bets with one another, which we've outlawed. Uh, but they'll be like, all right, if I make this shot, uh, you owe me $5. And they're like, bet. And then make the, make the shot. And they're like, I'm not paying you. I'm like, oh, yes, you are. I was like, yes, you are. You, you made a bet. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see this thing through. And then how do you think they like giving that money to their sibling? Oh, it's the worst, right? I was like, you did this. So that, that same sort of thing is like, you, you're not supposed to give to the Lord with grief and regret. Like, oh, I wish I'd never said I was going to do this. God does not desire his children to hand over wealth with a regretful attitude. Also, we must not give from compulsion. This is to give from, from forced obligation. Right? Like this, the image would be somebody who's robbing a store. Give me your money. You're forcing it. Which, I'm not saying everybody who teaches like the tithe thing uh, is doing that, but I've been in churches where that's been a thing. God says you give 10% or you're cursed. I'm like, that's Old Testament, that's not New Testament. Jesus was cursed in our place, no. So this is not a forced thing either, out of compulsion, right? God does not desire his children to hand over money from feeling forced. Fine, take it. That's, that's not the heart that he wants. A, a gospel person doesn't need to have money forced out of them. Now, they might need some grace to get into a heart of generosity. We'll talk about that in just a second. They don't want it to be, a gospel person doesn't need it forced out by rules and threats and external pressures. A, a, a Christian, because they spend time with Jesus, is so overwhelmed by the generosity of what he has given to them that they, they can't help but have open arms and open wallets and open homes to ensure the fellow believers and beyond have whatever they need, right? As we said in pre previous sermons, stinginess is anti-gospel. Stinginess is anti-Christ. Jesus is generous. We're to imitate him. God loves that. There's a friend of mine who, uh, he shared with me the, one, the ways that he thinks about trying to be, to be generous is, he, will, he prays for the Lord to open up opportunities for him to be generous. And then he'll be in conversations with somebody and he'll, he'll be asking, hey, how can I pray for you? And whenever somebody says, hey, here's what's going on, could you pray for me? His, his question to God is, is there any way that I could be the answer to that prayer? Lord, is there any way that you could use me to help with that? 
And he said that that has just changed the way that he engages with people seeking to find ways to, to give. And you don't have to have tons of money to do that. You can have part of your budget say, we're going to set aside some money that every month, this money, we want to give to somebody who needs it. Lord, show us who needs it. You know, S set aside 50 bucks or 20 bucks or if you have more and more and say, Lord, I want, we want to bless somebody who's in need. Would you open a door for that? Kiddos, that would be a great way for you to think about starting to use whatever money you get through allowances or whatever it may be or work or whatever, however you're getting your money, don't be stealing it. Um, and don't do the betting thing either probably. But like however you're getting it, think about how could you use this to bless others as, as well. Um, I know this church, I just want to say, so a couple weeks ago I mentioned the Benevolence Fund. That is a, it's a, it's a good way to give and to be generous. And I want to say that this church has been wonderfully generous in that. But the amount of things that happens between y'all, whenever a need, when a need becomes known, I've never seen it not at least try to find a way to, to make it happen. And I know there's some situations where it just doesn't pan out and they're, they've tried and we're, you know. But I think that I, I want to say thank you for being a generous congregation with one another. Like I could right now, and I'm not going to put people on the spot, but I could go around and point out people who right now have open homes and their car is with somebody else because they need it. And there's money that they've given and said, I do not want this back. This is from the Lord. And like we could just go around this route. It's all over the place. Thank you. It's an encouragement to me, and I think it glorifies, it glorifies God. So cultivate a heart that gives faithfully according to what you decide and cheerfully according to the grace that God has, has given you. Three promises to conclude. Number one, God will supply grace so that you can give. God will supply grace so you can give. Again, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See what he says? God's going to give you grace. He's going to make it abound to you so that you can abound in good works. But Paul began this section in chapter 8, verse 1, by calling their generosity an evidence of God's grace. One of the ways you know somebody's a believer is there's generosity coming out. That's fruit of the Spirit, he would say. And he concludes this section by doing the same. God's grace abounds to believers so that believers can abound in every good work. He says he will empower your obedience to be generous. So don't worry about this church. I want to encourage you. Pray. Pray, God, give me grace so that I can be more generous. Change my heart. I want to not be stingy. Help me. I'm afraid. Start confessing all the things you're afraid of when it comes to being generous. I want you to encourage, think about fasting about it. To set aside some time to really dedicate, Lord, show me. How do I develop an approach to this? And plan, right? Make a plan. Use your a budget, all the kind of stuff. Come with a plan of how you want to approach this. I encourage you to read the shepherd's statement. Also, I just want you to spend time reading the life of Christ and the early church and watching the way that generosity abounds and ask God as you see it, make me like that. And ask God to show you opportunities to trust him. God will, he promises to give you grace. He will abound in it so that you can abound in good works. Promise number two. God will foster fellowship by your giving. God will foster fellowship by your giving. 
Look at verse 13 and 14. Speaking of the Jewish believers, by their approval of this service, so the Jewish believers who are receiving the money as a service, they, the Jewish believers, will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So you're confessing the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So, so they will glorify God because you confess Christ and you contribute gospel. You, I'm sorry, you contribute uh, generosity toward them in light of the gospel. Verse 14, while they, the Jewish believers, long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul is giving the, the, the uh, Christians here in Corinth a preview of the response of the Jewish believers. What they're going to do whenever they receive this, this gift. They're going to see your gospel confession. They're going to see your generous contribution for them and all the other suffering saints. And they, they long for you and they pray for you. Something happens when believers receive the grace of God through other believers in the form of financial help. It facilitates fellowship. It, it cultivates a connected community that m it moves toward fellow believers. It compels you to love them, to delight in them. These starving, struggling saints in Judea are some 1,000 miles away, but their hearts are with the Corinthians. We love y'all. We're praying for y'all. They feel a connection with them because fellowship has been fostered through their, their giving. They long to see them. They pray for them. One of the sweet things for me, having been here in my 12th year now, is to watch the way that your generosity has blessed gospel partners around the world, including like Brett, Brett and Mandy. We didn't, and God, God had this arranged with them to, to be up here this morning. We didn't, didn't plan that. Praise the Lord for the way it worked out. But um, your, your generosity over the years, it's a very transient church, but you have given in significant ways uh, to, to bless many other congregations. We've sent former interns, uh, elders, members, resources to churches in Minnesota, Mount Vernon, Memphis, Philly, Fort Worth, Richmond, Charlotte, Boston, Bangkok, uh, Barlonic, Scotland, Abu Dhabi, Istanbul, Kenya, Dubai, and more. And one of the sweet things for me is sometimes they'll reach out and just say, or if I'll go visit one of these places, or one of our other teams will go and visit one of these places, when they hear her from Del Rey, there's a connection because of the way you have been generous to them. God knits hearts together. I can say the same thing in my, in my own life. There's Everything that I have basically is, is God's grace to me through people. I mean, I couldn't live in the house that I live in, drive cars we have, clothes, like the whole thing. Like, my salary is y'all being generous. Like, I feel this. I thank you for it. There's a, there's, a, there's a way that God knits hearts together when you bless one another in giving. So, God will supply grace so you can give. God will foster fellowship by your giving. And finally, promise number three. God will receive glory from your generosity. I hope you caught it when we read through this text the first time, but listen afresh, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce, underline it, thanksgiving to God. 
Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in, underline it, many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, underline it, they will glorify God. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution uh, for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace upon you, underline it, verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the other part of the harvest that comes. There is abounding thanksgiving to God. There's abounding glory to God because God is glorified when his people are generous. Why? Because his character is being put on display. When someone generously gives to another believer, whether it's face-to-face or it's anonymous, God's glory is being shown. The reason they're doing that is because they know me and they're acting like me. God is magnified. He is praised. He is, he is thanked. As we join God in his work of giving to others, God is seen as more precious than anything that the world could offer. It, it provokes worship to him because he's worthy. And whatever it's going to cost, it's going to be worth it because he's going to be enjoyed in the process and made known through the process. This is why generosity is such an important part of the people of God's life. And brothers and sisters, I just love the, the picture of where this all leads. When you come to the book of Revelation, at the end, around 19, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everybody comes, and it says uh, that the, the bride is, is dressed as a bride coming. It says, it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen, what you're going to wear for all of eternity, is the righteous deeds of the saints. One of the things, in whatever way this works up, that you'll be dressed up in for all of eternity is generosity. Is the righteousness of this life that you live by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, somehow that will abound in glory to God forevermore. And just imagine, we're going to be in a sinless land where gold will be pavement, pearls will be, you know, doorposts, jewels will be as common as street signs, but the treasure will be him. And we get him and we thank him forever and many, many more will be there because of generous giving that fueled gospel work for the glory of God. God loves to bless that kind of work. May God give us wisdom and humility as we seek to live it out. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need wisdom. We need your word to teach us and guide us. Lord, would you help us to understand how to yeah, digest and receive this passage of Scripture. Lord, in, in every way that it would be profitable for us to meditate on this and apply it, would you help us to do that? God, we pray that you would mark this congregation by generosity, but not just a generosity because they're nice people, but because of generosity because they spent time with Jesus and they've been overwhelmed with how generous he has been to them. Oh, Lord, may that mark me and may it mark us. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.